the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. We are thrilled to have in the studio with us Joel Rosenberg, friend of the program for many, many years. How are you doing, Joel? I'm doing well. Good to see you, Glenn. Good to see you. Now, Joel, you are... Speaking of, of truthful, we're going right to a, a, a novelist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we need but truth. You know what? But you know what? <laughs> Explain who you, who you used to be well, before you were a novelist. Well, I'm a failed political consultant. Everyone <laughs> I worked for lost in Washington. Right. Helped Steve Forbes lose two presidential campaigns. Right. Was on BB Netanyahu's comeback campaign in yeah. 2000 it took him nine more years to come back right. but anyway so you uh, so, so I, you've been around on the losing team that's true so to that's give true. you some credibility you <laughs> exactly. have done that okay i tried but, you, but you're a guy who has passionately cared about the issues and you've been around uh, you know uh the people in the know seen the things uh but from being around some of those that's people. true that's true i learned a lot from them and they yeah may not have benefited from me but i right. benefited from them a lot. correct and so you've been studying mainly the middle east people would say i think uh, people would say you know he's mainly a guy who writes about the middle east and uh and is is really studied that i think i know you better uh, that you uh, you would include Russia in all of your studies of the Middle East because of the Gog and Magog connection, if I'm not mistaken. Well, well certainly there's a prophetic angle to Russia and yes. something I've been fascinated with. Russia has had a hand in meddling uh, and, and causing dis- destabilization in the Middle East for the last century. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be interested in the Middle East, I live in Jerusalem. I'm a U.S. Israeli citizen. Mm-hmm. By the way, that means I get to vote twice. It's like living in Chicago, so that's nice. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Russia is going to be a player anywhere, but particularly in the Middle East. But also my family, Glenn, on my father's side is Jewish, uh, Gentile on my mom's side. I'm an evangelical. But my dad's side were Orthodox Jews that escaped out of Russia under Tsar Nicholas II. Mm. So part in, part in our, our heritage, our history, our DNA, uh, we have always had a, a, a deep concern about evil, rising in, in russia and what it can do when when the world doesn't see it coming so your book it's called the kremlin conspiracy and i have to tell you i know you started how, how long ago do you start writing this year and a half uh, two i started writing it two years ago two researching years ago. a little bit before yeah okay so two years ago you started writing it it is is as if you wrote it literally this week I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, it does. It's we, amazing. We talk about my novels you, you from the uh-huh. time you and I first met on CNN, mm-hmm. then Fox, now here. <laughs> you've been saying, well, these are like ripped from tomorrow's headlines and it's like today's headlines yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one is this one is um, is remarkable. Uh, quickly explain the, the premise of the novel. And sure. then I want to kind of get into the nuts and bolts okay. of what's really happening and, and how it plays out in the book. So in the Kremlin conspiracy, it's, a, it's the first political series uh, uh, story of a new series. Alexander Luganov is the czar, the dictator rising in Russia. He's not Putin, but let's call him Putin-esque. Well, okay. let's 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 say it's one of those movies where they they make it an extra bold type that says this is fictional characters, but you look at it and you're like, huh, yeah, okay, yes, <laughs> probably, but there's a lot of Putin. There's a lot. There's a lot of Putin. Yeah, that's true. So. And I'll explain why in a moment. But, okay. but all right, so you got Luganov. He's rising in Russia. We see him from two different angles. His son-in-law, Oleg Kraskin, uh, actually marries into the family early in the book. And now he's not only a family member in this godfather-like family, but he 
is, is hired as a senior aide to Lugano. So we have inside access, in a sense, into the Kremlin inner circle through this, the eyes of this young lawyer who's a bit young, naive. Um, he's sharp, but he's not, he doesn't understand what he's getting himself into. Mm-hmm. We're toggling back and forth through the Kremlin conspiracy with an American, uh, Marcus Riker, who after 9-11 joins the Marines, gets sent uh, to Afghanistan, ends up joining the United States Secret Service. And through a series of tragedies I won't talk about, I don't want to give too much away, he finds himself in Moscow, and Oleg and Marcus's lives converge at the most dangerous moment in U.S.-Russian relations. Big picture, what's happening with Luganov is he's got a new president in Washington, not well-versed in foreign and national security policy. His eye, the president's eyes are on North Korea and Iran, understandably so. Mm-hmm. But Luganov decides to take a gamble. While the world is focused on Asia and the Middle East, he decides to go grab one, two, or all three of the Baltic states, the NATO allies right on the border of Russia, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. He figures with 100,000 troops, a lightning fast strike, he could grab one, two, or maybe all three in 96 hours. Now, you say, that's insane. Why would a Russian leader, even in fiction, go grab a NATO ally that's covered and protected by Article 5, the Mutual Defense Pact, which says if one country is attacked in NATO, everybody comes to its defense. I know the answer. I think I know the answer. Even before I read the book, I can tell you the answer. Nobody wants nuclear war with Russia. Right, right. And so uh, Luganov's gamble is nobody's going to stop me. If If I actually grab it and hold even one of them, is the United States of America, is NATO going to actually go to even conventional war with me and are they going to risk nuclear war with Russia over a country most Americans cannot find on a map? And his theory is no. And he thinks if the answer really is no, if, if NATO does not defend NATO, that's the end of NATO. In 96 hours, I can collapse the entire Western alliance because they won't do it. That's the theory of the novel. So, Kremlin conspiracy. So now let me tell you the reality. So uh, Putin, who has nothing to do with this book, has been trying to uh, collapse. I haven't been poisoned yet. That's, yeah, that's a starter. But I know. Uh, we're just getting started. Has has <laughs> said that he is wanting to collapse the NATO alliance um, and uh, wants to collapse the Western world and has just last week poisoned with a with a, a, a nerve gas that is clearly from Russia. It's only made in Russia. It's only kept in Russia. 21 people who are going to be vegetables for the rest of their life if they live. There is no cure from this this nerve agent. It is a nasty, nasty nerve agent. He's called on the carpet. Theresa May says, well, you better answer. or There's going to be, you know, something that's going to happen. She pulls out. uh, Putin mocks her. The foreign ministry mocks it. The the London embassy, the Russian embassy issues joke photos in response. Take does not take it seriously at all. It's almost as if Putin is giving us one real push to see, will they actually do anything? And the answer is no, we won't. Well, they're not going to the World Cup. So that's <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the royal family is. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, yeah. But they didn't say that. Like, right. The team might go, but the, the, team might go. <laughs> the team might go. But the royal family will not go. Right. The, look, the way 
uh, NATO needs to handle this is, is, is finally getting serious with sanctions. You have to target specific individuals in the Kremlin and you have to go after the money. Uh, this is not something you would go to war over, but yes. it's definitely something you've got to you've got to hit them where they count. And you know, one of the things I do in this book, I get, one of the things that fiction can do is take people outside of the day to day tactical uh, headlines and, and sort of separate out whatever you feel about a specific leader at a specific moment. So by making this fiction, by not calling him Putin, by yes. by creating him. Putin-esque with a lot of details, but then having getting to play with it a bit, extrapolate. Yes, yes, yes. It allows you to take cause people to lose themselves in reality for a moment and go into this fictional world. And in this world, uh, Luganov is a czar. Now, my family has literally physically escaped from the czar, uh, Nicholas II. But what are the czars? Uh, this is, you know, Putin is not a communist. Mm-hmm. He's not an ideologue in the communist pure mm-hmm, sense mm-hmm. we may want to talk about what where he's coming from ideologically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but part of it is he's a monarchist he believes that russia has been humiliated by the collapse of the soviet union and and that they need to rebuild the glory of mother russia this is deep in his his psyche so luganov is this person he's a rising czar which means he wants to expand the borders doesn't mean he's going to grab and control every country but he wants to he, he wants to knuckle them under his, his thumb. He's also a godfather. He is a mafia boss, but he's not Sonny Corleone. He's not a rash, hot-headed, impulsive thug. He is Michael Corleone. He's a cold, calculated killer. Joel Rosenberg, he is the author of a new novel called The Kremlin Conspiracy. And if you want to be able to, as he just said a few minutes ago, Kind of see the world, but not have to worry about the not have to worry about the world. Not, it's 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 a novel, uh, but it really is dealing exactly with uh, much of what we're dealing with right now with Russia, uh, and and you can try to understand the figures and how everybody is being played, and and what a great chess player <laughs> Putin is. Um, he is he's many moves ahead. I think of. Of all of us, is there anybody, Joel, out there that you think is like that really gets Putin besides, I think, probably Bibi Netanyahu? Uh, no, I mean, not not in in the position of a president yeah. or a prime minister. A, a, there's yeah. a lot of, you a, know, a Churchill get him. But no, there's no. And <laughs> uh, no, we've got a lot of Churchills who are out of office or they're backbenchers who are seeing him. I mean, I, the guy who gets him best, Gary Kasparov, Bill Browder. Guys who've been directly threatened by him, yes. but have taken him on face to face. But they are they are working on a campaign that I think they are the Churchills of our time. Yeah, actually, those two men, um, and I think their tribe is beginning to increase. In other words, they they are you know that what I'm doing is taking a different route. They are going straight policy uh, speeches because they're experts on these mm-hmm. things uh, and they know Putin face to face. But one of the things that has to happen is sometimes you have to drive things out of Washington, out of Brussels, out of the political sphere, and into the popular culture so that it helps people understand evil that's rising. That we've almost as long as I've known you, we've talked about the central theme to all of my novels, even though they all have different characters, different flavors. But the theme is this to misunderstand the nature and threat of evil is to risk getting blindsided by it. Mm-hmm. We were blindsided at 9-11. We were blindsided sided at Pearl Harbor. We were blindsided by the rise of Hitler and, uh, and, and 
the Second World War and the Holocaust. We shouldn't have been. We all look back and go, there's a lot of data, but we weren't paying attention to it because we didn't understand the nature and threat of evil. And a lot of Western society poo-poos and discounts the concept that evil even exists. So it's hard to see it if you and, don't and even believe it's there's, there. There's also a, uh, a, a something in human nature that makes us want to say, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen, I, I, you know, because right. we can't imagine it. Right. And in this particular case, we don't know what to do because none of us want nuclear war. We right. don't want a war well, with Russia. Well, this is an example where, you know, okay, so the political thriller, the Kremlin conspiracy lays out one of the worst case scenarios. Literally in 96 hours, a, a Russian leader could collapse the, the NATO alliance. I think that's, when I started working on it two years ago, I thought, all right, well, that's a little out there, but... It's, it's a good novel. No, but it now, it, yeah. you know, it could happen next week. Yeah. But here's, here's the one way we could stop it. Uh, President Trump and NATO could significantly scale up the deterrent forces in the Baltics to create a speed bump high enough that whatever temptation is there is mitigated and Putin mm-hmm. backs off, looks for another victim. And he will say, if we do that, he will say, look at the aggression of the West. So what? I mean, it's better but than them being invaded. Does anybody does anybody have the courage to do that? And and I mean, when I say that, I mean the American people. I mean, I want to go through I want to go through some stats that um, you know you've you've looked at when you were writing this book about how America views Putin, views Russia, and I'm not sure we're I'm not sure we're all on the same page about him. We'll get to uh, get to that here in just a second. The name of the book is the Kremlin Conspiracy. Uh, by Joel Rosenberg. Um, he is, um, uh, I don't know, how, how many books have you written? This is the 13th political thriller. And they are all riveting. And um, and as he said earlier, always like ripped from tomorrow's headlines. This one literally could be, I mean, it's like he wrote it last night. It really is. Joel, I think, I think the, the Kremlin has done a brilliant job, brilliant job of making... Russia and Putin in America, all about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. Yeah. And so the Clinton people, when you're talking about, you know, was there something funny going on with uh, with Gazprom? Y- yeah, there there was. I'm sorry. But the uranium one, that was a that's a problem. That's right. I don't know if she was involved, but there's a mountain of evidence that was was held back that even Congress couldn't see. That shows that they were in bribing and doing all kinds of stuff for people all around Washington on both sides. Here with with the uh, election, people are making it all about Donald Trump. I, I haven't seen the evidence that there's collusion. There, there are weird things, but he's putting people in place that are not. Pompeo is not a fan of Russia. No, I mean, no, that's the thing. If he if the president. If President Trump were criminally colluding with Putin, you would not put Jim Mattis at the uh, defense. Why not? The guy Supreme... with the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Why? Like, this is a guy who gets Russia, <laughs> right. is serious about the NATO alliance. Mike Pompeo at CIA, I've known him for years. He's, he's a fan of my books. Uh, not the why I'm a fan of him, but I, he's got good, good sense. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, Mike Pence at, at, uh, at, obviously, the VP, Nikki Haley. These are not pushovers on no. Putin. So, moreover, to President Trump's credit, he is driving up uh, U.S. defense spending when defense was hollowed out under Obama. 
He is pushing NATO to spend much more money for themselves on their own defense, and they're starting to do it. He's arming uh, Ukraine with lethal weapons. President Obama never did it. Mm-hmm. He's he his U.S. special forces took out a team of Russian mercenaries trying to give us a bloody nose in Syria and kick their tails. Yeah, that was fantastic. Listen, so the, none of these are soft on Putin policies, but I have to say my concern is that President Trump is radio silent on President Putin. No matter what Putin does, that's evil, bad, nefarious, aggressive. President Trump doesn't seem to have the desire, the willingness to to call him out on it. And President Trump isn't radio silent on anybody that he doesn't like. I, I'm guessing you've taken a few, <laughs> just, you know, spitballing here. Right. I live in Jerusalem now, so I'm not totally up to speed. But, right. you know, right. he, look, President's tr- tougher on Jeff Sessions yeah. than he is on the worst dictator on the planet. Yeah. That doesn't mean he's criminally corrupt, but it just means that's weird. Yeah. And he, look, Vladimir Lenin. But I, I may say, here's the, but here's the problem. If we go to, if we look at the public, I'm not sure because I think in, in many ways, Putin and then just the political machine has made this about Hillary Clinton didn't do anything wrong. Donald Trump didn't do anything wrong. And so we're not actually talking about who did do something wrong, and that's Vladimir Putin in Russia. Right. Two thoughts, though, on that. One, this is the responsibility of the president of the United States to, to, to define the terms of the debate. And this is why radio silence is, is, is not just bad, it's actually harmful, because you can define. Look, contrast what President Trump is doing with Russia, which is good policy, but no defining of the debate. Compare it with his North Korea policy. He defines Kim Jong-un as rocket man. He sends mm-hmm. B-2 bombers yes. over the peninsula. Right. He sends Pence to go to the DMZ. He sends Mattis. He sends the aircraft carrier uh, you know, uh, task force. Yeah. And, and we don't know where it will go, but it has gotten North Korea's attention because it's this strategic pressure, this mm-hmm. maximum pressure. We are not getting maximum pressure on Russia, and we need to. So, so that's one point. The president needs to do it. The second point is to is to keep in mind what Vladimir Lenin used to say. Uh, he would say, "Probe with bayonets. If you find mush, push. If you find steel, stop." Under Obama, Vladimir Putin found mush, and he kept pushing, and 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 nobody stopped him. What we need President Trump to do is to show steel. He is showing it in policy, although there's a few other things we could talk about that I think he should be doing. Uh, but he is not defining the terms of the debate, even at the moment this week where NATO is starting to say, and they're not sure what to do, but they, uh, you know, we go back to this point about Russian nerve gas, military-grade nerve agents killing, poisoning people in, in Great Britain. This is, this is the, this, we've never seen this happen since World War II. So this is a time when the president of the United States stands with your British allies, your NATO allies, and speaks out and begins to define the terms. Now, one last thought on that. This is a very good development of the idea of Mike Pompeo moving over to state. I think it was a great move. It, it is. One, because Tillerson is a, an honorable man, didn't understand the job, and didn't really know the president. So you never believed that he was really speaking for the president. Moreover, he had a personal friendship with Vladimir Putin, he got the highest 
civilian honor that you could possibly get from Vladimir Putin. That did not give me a sense that this guy had steel when it came to Putin. <laughs> right. Like, I, would you ever take a... No. You know, <laughs> would I? No. Now, maybe if I was running ExxonMobil, but I'm not. Pompeo gets Russia and Iran and North Korea, but also there's the key. Mike Pompeo, for all his skill sets, he did not have the legal ability at CIA to, to shape policy. CIA directors are not allowed to say, and therefore you should, Mr. President. Can't do it. It's only analysis and data, which is, that's the right thing. At state, he can craft a, a robust, comprehensive Russia policy, help the president, if the president is willing to be helped in that direction. Uh, but it's time. Let me go through, let me go through some of the stats. Um, with the Russian invasion of Georgia, Ukraine in recent years, Russian forces fighting in Syria to protect the regime of Assad, Russia continuing to sell arms and nuclear technology to Iran, Russia hacking the U.S. computer networks and attempts to interfere in American elections. Would you agree or disagree with this sentence? I have come to believe that Vladimir Putin and the government of Russia pose a clear and present danger to national security in the United States, NATO allies, Europe, and our Middle East allies, such as Israel. 72% believe that's true. 60% say they worry about Putin now planning another military attack, perhaps an invasion of a small NATO country or Middle Eastern country, because he thinks the international community isn't serious about stopping him. And 51%, 51.9, are not convinced the president understands Russia or Putin and must do more. So tell you. Well, we commissioned this poll uh, for the release of the Kremlin conspiracy last week. And we, and we did that from uh, a highly respected pollster, John McLaughlin. I've known him for 25 years. John has also been one of the president's pollsters. And I said, okay, this is going to be important because if the president's going to, I want to know what Americans really think. I want it to be fair. I want it to be scientifically accurate, but also has to be done by somebody who the president wouldn't listen to. Like these are real numbers. They're not, Mm -hmm. you know, some leftist, you know, right, exactly. So I briefed the White House staff on these numbers and congressional leaders on these numbers. And it's important for these numbers to get out. Because as we head into the 2018 elections, if three out of four Americans think that Putin is a clear and present danger, but 52% don't think the president fully understands that threat or is doing all that he can, that ca- that's a real problem. Because what do Americans agree on on three out of four, three out of four Americans on anything these days? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that means that it's their front and center issue, but I think instinctually... They, they get this issue, but they, they want to sh- see leadership. And it's actually kind of crazy to hear Democrats being able to attack a Republican president for being soft crazy. on Vladimir Putin. But at this point, at least in terms of rhetoric, uh, that charge holds. So uh, we're talking to Joel Rosenberg, the Kremlin conspiracy. What should... Novel. That, just to be clear, I'm not yeah, actually involved in the Kremlin conspiracy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, right, I would yeah, like... Yeah. And in fact, when I was in Vice President Pence's office a few months ago and he said, what's your next novel about? I said, well, I don't really want to mention it in the West Wing. He said, yeah. what, why? What are you talking about? Said, well, it has nothing to do with what's going on here. And, said, what? and Pence pressed me, what's the title? I said, uh, sir, it's the Kremlin conspiracy. I've known Mike Pence for a long time. I got to say, I've never seen him laugh quite as hard as, I, as he did when he heard the name of the novel. Anyway. Uh, so the, the Kremlin conspiracy, the novel, um, can you give us what you think we should be doing at this time 
with Theresa May? What should we be doing? How can we show steel without, you know, pushing us closer to the edge of a war with Russia? Yeah. If I were uh, advising the president of the United States, I would advise him to immediately call her, invite her to Washington. I would do a joint statement together. I might not even just ask her. I would ask the head of NATO to come. Uh, or I'd get on a plane. I'd go to London or Brussels. I would start moving. I would, I would not even announce it. I would just start moving U.S. forces, tanks uh, into the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. The president is going to have a summit on April 3rd with the three presidents of the Baltic states. They are terrified. Uh, the Lithuanian ambassador uh, actually heard about the book and invited me to breakfast. I, I didn't know him uh, to talk about these things, to get a copy and, 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 and talk about what can be done. You have, and then I would start impo- imposing the very sanctions that Congress overwhelmingly passed last year and President Trump has not yet that, imposed. That, that is one Only thing two is- senators voted against it. Over 400 congressmen voted for it. He's got the legal authority. It's time. Move. This, you've got the, all the setup. You've given Putin all the space. If he wanted to change, he would have changed by now. Start to hit Putin where they care about, which is targeted sanctions on individuals. Use the Magnitsky Act, the act that specifically goes after people that are engaged in mm-hmm. criminal activity. You don't have to... There's a way to ramp this thing up. You sure. don't want to overreach... But you've got to start protecting our allies and hitting uh, specific Putin cronies. Do you believe that, I mean, Putin's election is on Sunday. Yes, I'm not uh, holding my breath. I don't think it'll be a Pennsylvania 18. Uh, <laughs> I don't but think that's, so. I'm just spitballing <laughs> here. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, some of this, I think, is happening because of his election on Sunday. Um, do you agree with that or not? I don't. And, and the reason I don't is because when you're a dictator, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, he'd love to win with 95 the danger is if he thinks he wins with 60, that, that would tell you that 40% of the country is voting for somebody. They don't care who it is, just not him. Mm-hmm. I think that's a risk to him. But since you're not really worried as Vladimir Putin over if you're going to win or not, mm-hmm. what are you doing? I think we would be misreading him, saber rattling as just being political. I think he means it. I think he is so a, thir- a so- thug who's looking for another country to take. So 30 to 45 seconds. Do you see war as a real possibility with russia if we if if we show weakness i mean if we can't show steel with a country that's actually a weak country they have nuclear weapons but this guy is a bully and we're we're the world's superpower we've got nato we just need to show steel uh this is the darkest hour with winston churchill under neville chamberlain not good with winston churchill and fdr kicking in there's a lot we can do to stop evil in this world but the west gets blindsided when we don't pay attention and we don't stand up for ourselves thanks joel appreciate it glenn beck the blaze radio network